Thank you for downloading the Beacon Church podcast. We hope that you enjoy today's message and that you find that God speaks to you through it. Okay, if you'd like to take your seats again, please. Come on, come on, come on, come on. Okay. Um, okay, so Renity doesn't need that much of an introduction of you. just seen a video with him that's smiling a lot. Um, uh, but I do want to say a couple of things. Uh, first of all, to be able to introduce him as a friend rather than a student I teach is quite special. Um, two years ago, uh, when we were at Lambeth Academy... Is that what it was called, the venue? Lambeth College. College. We're at Lambeth College. Um, I stood up to do a plug for New Day, and my way of doing it was to read Renardy's story. Um, And there was probably only three or four people in the church who even knew who he was at that point. Um, And within a couple of years, you know, he's hook, line, and sinker, loving loving Jesus, being baptised, and even though he's not perfect, um, and he doesn't know the Bible inside out, and he's not standing up here because he has solved everything, he's going to stand up here because he loves Jesus. Um, and he wants to glorify him. So I'm going to pray for him, um, then he's going to kick off. He's going to be preaching the majority, and I'm going to get up towards the end, do a couple of points, and then we'll respond. Um, Lord, I thank you for Renardi. I thank you for who he is. I thank you for the video that we've just watched that demonstrates the, the passion that he has for you. You can't make that up. And I just pray that you are with him now. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you take the words that he says, and it glorifies you. Lord, I pray for complete commitment to your word, and ultimately I pray that people will leave here knowing and loving you more because of what's been said. Amen. 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 Okay. Hello, everyone. Um, so about four weeks ago, um, I met up with Joseph and Mr. Smith to go watch a United game. <laughs> and um, it was at about 6.30 in the morning where we met up at McDonald's um, to have breakfast. And... Um, it was the first time I tried coffee, and I absolutely hated it. Never trying it again. Um, so from Brixton, we took um, a tube to Houston, and from Houston, we took a train all the way to Manchester. And during that time, we just played a lot of Uno. And what was funny was the fact that um, Joseph and Mr. Smith were just arguing, kept on arguing, arguing about um, who, who, who should be winning. But they were both losing, and I just kept on winning everything. So that I really enjoyed that. And from Manchester, we took a train to, I mean, tram, sorry, tram to the United Stadium. And at that point, I was just really happy, and I just wanted to take photos with, um, with the Man United sign behind me because it was something that I never thought I would ever go to. And um, we went up the turns, turnstiles, I think, yeah. And um, we went up these stairs, and these stairs went up forever and ever and ever. It was absolutely so tiring. Um, it was almost like I was doing some, I don't know, running workout. It was absolutely ridiculous. But we finally reached there, and I just remember going into the stands and being absolutely amazed at what I saw, seeing the players warm up, um, seeing so many people there just gathered to watch one match. And I remember asking Mr. Smith, um, imagine 75,000 people coming to worship God. And his response was, actually, it's more than that. It's more than that. Um, you see, in Revelation, it says thousands upon thousands, ten thousands upon ten thousands will gather to worship the Lamb, to worship Jesus. Not an event lost in 90 minutes, but an event that lasts for eternity. Um, I, can, I, love, I love going to Manchester United, and it's an experience I want to do again. 
Um, but I couldn't stand here and <laughs> preach to you for 30 minutes about Man United. The reason why I'm here. <laughs> the reason why I'm here <laughs> is actually to preach about following the King and knowing Jesus. So um, I just want to pray quickly before I start. So Lord, I just thank you, the fact that we're here um, to know more about you. Lord, I just pray that um, you send the Holy Spirit down so um, people may understand this message and um, leave knowing more about you than they first began, Lord. In the name of Jesus, amen. amen. So the passage we'll be looking at today is uh, Mark 2, 13 to 17. Oh, it's up there. All right. um, so I'll read it. Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him, and he began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him, and Levi got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. You see, in the book of John, um, it says that Jesus did many other things as well. If there were many, uh, if, there, <laughs> if every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that could have been written. Doesn't that make you wonder? Doesn't that make you think of all the things that Jesus actually done? The fact that they can't, <laughs> there's not even enough room for the books to be made just shows how much Jesus did. But why didn't he record all of it? Why didn't John, I mean Mark, record all those things? Doesn't it also make you wonder the things that Jesus did do and were recorded within the book? What is it that the writers wanted us to know about Jesus? See, this passage once again tells us something about God's character and it challenges us to the core. It's about God's grace, about his undeserving love and faithfulness upon us. Um, this message is titled, God's does God's grace offend you? Because the fact is, it's easy to, to look, look upon how God rest, <laughs> saved us when we first got to know him. But when you look at mankind and what it's really like, it makes you look at grace in a different light. An example is what's happened this week, you know, in London. You know, it's easy, it's easy to look at. <laughs> it's hard for, for you to think that God's grace can be on that man. And what he did. So, <laughs> yeah, it's one thing to celebrate in it, but it's another thing to live out in God's grace. So the first point I want to make today is the authority of Jesus. Um, we pick up on the story that Jesus is teaching to a large crowd. Um, people can't stop following him. They can't stop listening to what he's saying because they're being inspired by a man who has authority. In Matthew, it describes how the people were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Now that's funny because the teachers of the law did have authority. You see, the Sadducees had control over the temple and what happened in the temple. And the Pharisees had the popularity of the crowd and controlled the synagogues and had commentaries over the written law. You see, when you come across Jesus, you realize that actually what you thought had authority, what you thought offered life and comfort, what you thought offered um, vision and strength, desire and courage, actually, actually offers nothing at all. 
is why the disciples stood with Jesus when others left him. You see, Jesus offers life. He did then, and he certainly does now. So Jesus is teaching as usual. Mark doesn't say about what, but you can have a guess. Um, <laughs> the gospel always, they all say the same thing about this one. They say that the kingdom of God is coming, that we are called to repent and believe in, <laughs> believe in the one who has come, and that Jesus delights in compassion, mercy, love, humility, oof, yeah, <laughs> qualities that the world often, so, uh, qualities that the world, the world so often lacks. I would say that you don't, even, you don't even need to know what Jesus is teaching at this particular moment because Mark has a habit of showing us anyway. Mark often uses parables, stories, miracles spoken or performed by Jesus to illustrate meaning. Jesus is doing what Jesus does, finding the way to visually demonstrate God's love, grace and mercy. To bring knowledge to God's truth in, in the heart, to challenge and ultimately bring glory to God the Father. He has authority, what he does, says, and brings life. So the second point I want to make is the prodigal God. Now that's weird because you usually know the story of the prodigal son, but the father gives his son all his inheritance and his son absolutely just wastes it. He goes out and lives a life of luxury and absolutely just, he just, <laughs> yeah, he just wastes everything. Um, but he runs back to his father and his father, instead of, you know, absolutely, you know, destroying him or like, <laughs> just, <laughs> I don't even know what words he used, but <laughs> instead of doing that, he puts a ring on his finger, a cloak on his back, on his back, and calls for the biggest party to celebrate that he's returned. You see, the word prodigal means being wastefully extravagant and has often been used to describe the story, the selfish son. However, there's a man called Tim Keller, an American pastor and author who says the opposite. Another meaning for prodigal is, is having or giving someone on a lavish scale. The main focus of the story is not the son, just like it's not us, it's the father. It's on God's ridiculously wonderful response to our sin, and Jesus does the same here. The name Levi means joined in harmony or attached. The Levi that Jesus came across was certainly not living up to his name. Um, he was a tax collector, probably the lowest of the lowest in terms of profession. He was not only just taking money, but he was taking, he was taking more than he was actually meant to. He was keeping it in his own pocket so he can live off well. Um, every day when men will go out to fish, irrespective of what they caught, they'll have to go to Levi. <laughs> they'll be met by Levi on the shore with his hand, with his hand outstretched so, he can, so they can pay him. Can you imagine what it felt like walking every day and passing Levi's house? Um, you look at, you walk past his house seeing a wonderful house, um, good clothes on him. Then you walk past your house and it's nowhere near, it's nowhere near as good as compared to his one. That's a man that Jesus came across while he was teaching the crowd who were following him. But what's interesting about what Jesus done is when he met up with Levi, he didn't challenge him. He didn't, you know, yeah, he just, he didn't challenge him. He didn't use it as an opportunity to teach people on how we're meant to live our lives. He didn't pass by by feeling awkward, embarrassed that he may, that he may have to put his money where his mouth is. But he says two words, follow me. The majority of people wouldn't have understood 
the significance of these two words, but the disciples knew. You see, the disciples had the same situation. When Jesus first met up with every single one of them, he told them to drop everything they had, everything that they, <laughs> everything that they owned, and he asked them to follow him. <laughs> you see, he thought he needed money, needed a safe life, needed protection by the Romans. But when you, when you come across the living God, you realize what you really need. Nothing else mattered. Jesus, does, does, uh, Jesus then does something he rarely does. He went to Levi's house. He would have been aware that people would have grumbled or people would have moaned about this. How dare Jesus go to Levi's house? Jesus ate with Levi and invited his disciples to be part of it. It was a big deal. Eating together, particularly in this culture, um, showed true acceptance, true friendship, and true equality. People often sat down in a low couch with, with a table in the middle. The most, the most important guest would be sitting next to the host, leaning on him, literally with his head on the chest of the host. Jesus, the Lord of all, God incarnate, sitting next to a man who spent his life making others, li others' lives a misery, offering true love, true acceptance, true forgiveness. Now that's grace. Because how many of you, how many of us, would actually do that? Just think about that in your heads. <laughs> now that's a prodigal God. You are Levi. I am Levi. Levi would not have been um, drowning in misery at this moment. He was aware of what he had done and how undeserving he was of God's divine company, but he would have been celebrating the joy of being known and loved by a God. Yeah. A love that depends on who he is rather than who we are. We need to do the same. Don't go about your life dwelling on the fact that you're a prodigal son or daughter. Dwell on the fact that you believe and know a prodigal God. As I was preparing for this um, preach, I just felt like God saying, you know, that you know, Jesus will often knock on your door. And it's not, Jesus doesn't only knock on your door when you first offer your life to him. But he will knock on your door time and time again. And sometimes we don't open the door because we're scared of what God might see. And I just want to say, I want to encourage you to actually open the door. Because when you open the door, God doesn't only just, he, he doesn't just get rid of the thing that you're scared of seeing. But he makes it into something good. So don't be afraid of opening the door to God. But going back to the prodigal God, that shift in mindset changes everything. It's about how we cope, what we do, what our plans are, what path we've made ahead of us. It's about what God can do within us, through us, and, and with us to declare his glory. We are told to take our minds off ourselves and put them into him. God's grace should make you do that. The famous hymn, Amazing Grace, starts with, saved a wretch like me but ends in a celebration of who God is, which ends in, when we've been, a f when we've been here of 10,000 years, bright shining like the sun, we have no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. We are called to worship God and bathe in his goodness and mercy, to celebrate in his grace. That's all I can cool. say. Um, so just to recap, so we've heard about um, the authority of Jesus, we've heard about God as a prodigal God, and looking at that story in a, different mind, in a different way, it's not really about the Son, it's not really about us, it's about who God is. Um, and the third point is the curse of the hardened heart. 
And uh, it's a shame, well, in some ways, it's a shame the story continues, because at this point, the story is lovely. Yeah? Jesus does what Jesus does. He's gathering all these people. Everyone's following him. He's a bit of a hero. Everyone's inspired by him. Um, and then he sees Levi, and then what a great opportunity to demonstrate the teaching that he gives. Um, he goes to Levi's house, has a meal. They're chilling on the couch. Everything's lovely. The disciples get a meal out of it as well. Everything's going really well. Yeah, it's going really well. And then it goes slightly wrong because the Pharisees show up. And uh, the Pharisees are never too far behind, to be honest. Wherever Jesus goes, there are people watching him. And uh, I call this a saloon door moment. You know, like you get a film and everyone's in a bar and there's a little piano in the corner, some twinkling away, and people are sitting having a drink and um, they're laughing, they're joking. There's this really nice atmosphere. And then it cuts to someone that walks through the door and you get the swinging door. Yeah, and the music stops, and people are sitting there just with their glasses like this. They all look over. Yeah? This is that moment. Yeah? They're ruining the party. <laughs> Absolutely ruining the party. The atmosphere has gone as the Pharisees walk in. And I bet Levi's heart sank a little at this point. Okay, this was his day. Obviously, it's about Jesus, yeah? but for him, this, was, this is monumental. I was like this. I'm now like this. I lived a life like this. I've now decided I'm going to live a life like, this, life like this. God is sitting in my living room. Yeah, that's a massive moment. And the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, the people that have authority, religious authority, turn up. And where the Pharisees go, people listen. So for Levi, your day is just about to get a little bit worse. Um, so you see, the Pharisees took the written Mosaic law, so like the Ten Commandments and all the other laws around it in the Old Testament, and they followed it to the letter. Okay? In fact, they did even more than that. They wrote certain commentaries that enabled you to follow the Mosaic law so that you could be declared righteous. If you do this, and you do this, and you do this, you're okay in God's sight. Okay? So therefore, they would go around and religiously teach people, you're meant to live your life like this. So for example, um, Sabbath was a really big deal for them. So in the, Ten, in the Ten Commandments, it says you should honor the Sabbath. So it means don't work on the Sabbath. For them, it's like, what does the word work even mean? So we are going to teach around the word work. We're going to write commentaries on the word work. They came out ridiculous things. Like, work counts as how far you walk. Sorry, Martin and Maureen, you couldn't walk on the Sabbath. You love walking. You wouldn't be allowed to go on a long walk. Okay? People had to stick into close proximity to where they lived. Because if you walked too far, you were working. And if you were working, you weren't righteous. And if you're not righteous, you are nothing in front of God. Or um, if you own some animals, and uh, one of your animals falls into a hole or a pit on the Sabbath, you can't get your animal out of the pit. Okay? Because that would count as work. So if your animal's going to die, your animal's going to die. Okay? Because again, if you live your life like this, you're not righteous, and in front of God, that means that you are nothing. And the Pharisees would teach these laws, teach the way you're meant to live your life. Um, but actually, in the Gospels, they also challenged Jesus and the disciples over the Sabbath. So the disciples and Jesus, they were walking through a field one day, and they were picking some grain, and it was on the Sabbath, so the Pharisees accused him and the disciples of what you're doing, why are you doing this, you're breaking the law. Um, Jesus had a few words to say about that. I love the fact Jesus always goes at them. Yeah, he doesn't just, doesn't just lie down on this issue. Um, uh, they even accused Jesus of doing something wrong by healing someone on the Sabbath. This is a great one. Yeah, so Jesus goes up to someone, he, he, he lays his hands on them and sees them healed, and the Pharisees don't really care about the healing. They care about the fact that he's trying to heal someone on the Sabbath. Okay? And that is an issue. What's funny is the person was actually healed, and God is the one who heals. So they're accusing God that you're breaking God's law on the Sabbath. Yeah? So the whole thing doesn't really work. They're, they're, it, like, it's ridiculous. And therefore, Jesus attacks them as well. He verbally goes for it. Um, Jesus calls them a brood of vipers. Basically, you're snakes. 
Um, and a snake is depicted in terms of the devil. So he's basically saying, you're working with the devil on this one. If you've got an issue with the way that I'm living my life and that others are living their lives who are glorifying me and glorifying God, then you're more in line with the devil than you are with God. Jesus was incredibly harsh with the Pharisees. He also called them whitewashed tombs. Basically, you focus on looking really pretty and lovely on the outside, but in the inside, you are dead, you're rotten to the core. Okay? Incredibly powerful words. They didn't see eye to eye. Okay? That's why you get the saloon door moment. Yeah? Pharisees walk in, everyone's looking around, Jesus is there, Pharisees are there, leave us thinking, oh no, things are about to change. Okay? Thing is, the hearts of the Pharisees were hardened. Okay? They couldn't look past the fact that someone sinful was being treated with love. That God's grace was literally offending them. But notice that they didn't really challenge Jesus. Okay? They didn't go straight in and go to Jesus and say, what are you doing? They went to Jesus' disciples. They went to the people that they thought, you know what, I might not be able to change what he's doing, but I can ruin it for you. They said to the disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? It reminds me of the snake in Genesis with Eve. Snake goes to Eve, doesn't go to God, goes to Eve. Did God really say this? You must not eat from any tree in the garden. You see, even when you're saved, even when you love God, even when you've chosen to follow him, to give your life to him, to demonstrate everything for him, the enemy still tries to get in and ruin everything, just like the Pharisees turned up at that party. He can still make you question who God is, he can make you question what he does, and he can make you shy away from his grace to take your mind off him and focus it back on yourselves. Those battles we all face, and sadly, many believers don't overcome them. If you give your life to Jesus, it's all about grace. God has broken in. And then suddenly, over time, certain things creep in. I've got to do this. If I do this, God will love me more. If I act like this, God will accept me more. Oh, if I do this, then God will use me for his plans and promises. He will want to know me more. All of that is a complete, utter load of rubbish. Okay, so it's like, oh, I've got to go to church. Well, the Bible says church is important, but going to church, sadly, just to let you know, doesn't make God love you anymore. You being here now, God doesn't love you anymore because you're here now. Okay, praying, reading the Bible, not giving in to sin, giving money to the poor, being loving, being compassionate, things that the Bible speaks about and are incredibly important, but they do not change your standing in front of God. The Pharisees wanted to tell the disciples, this is changing your standing in front of God. They were trying to rip grace out of the situation. You see, the Pharisees are often used in Christendom in the whole sort of picture of the church as an example of believers who have become self-righteous. People who have grown into having so much self-importance that they've forgotten they were once completely outcast, downtrodden, and undeserving of God's love. We may say that this isn't us. But actually, I do think we do need to be careful. Not just in the things that I've just mentioned, but other subtle things as well. When that opportunity comes up at work and we think we deserve it, we live by grace, we deserve nothing. In the grand scheme of things. When you're at church and there's an opportunity, oh, I've been there for years, and then suddenly this person rocks up and now he's doing it. Actually, it doesn't really matter because we live a life of grace. Okay? When opportunities come, when we see people do things wrong in their lives and we're, we're very quick to judge, why are you doing this, why are you doing that? Actually, we live a life of grace. I'm just as bad as you are. My heart is, was just as rotten as yours is now. It's just that Jesus has transformed it. It's not because of who I am, it's because of who he is. We need to cling on to God's grace, to repent of any aspect of a hardened heart and allow God to continually step in to change who we are. Don't let the lies of the devil ruin the party. 
Okay? As Renardi says, it's about God being a prodigal God, not about you being a prodigal son or a prodigal daughter. Don't focus on who you are and what you can do. Lift your eyes and focus on who he is and what he does, because it changes absolutely everything. Fourth and final point um, is a weird one, really, because I couldn't really think of a title for it, and I just went for Jesus. Um, (laughs) And I went for Jesus, because ultimately it is all about him, um, the stories about him, the gospels about him, our lives are about him. I mean, I'm absolutely hook, line, and sinker in love with Jesus. Um, watching that video of the boys tell their stories, they are like that because of who Jesus is. Um, when you ever have doubts about, oh, is God real, which I know those things come in, and what about this, what about that, you look back at what God has done and what Jesus has done, and everything changes. Um, it's about who he is, it's about what he's done, and, it's a, and because of that, it means that we can live in his victory. Jesus hears the Pharisees questioning disciples. I just love to, I love to picture the scene. Yeah? So Jesus is over here on a couch next to Levi. And Levi's probably just looking like this, thinking, what on earth is going on? This is all going to go wrong. The Pharisees have come in. The saloon door moment has now ended. Probably people are still having a bit, bit to drink now. Um, but the Pharisees are now talking to the disciples, probably hushed tones. What about this? What's he doing? What's he doing? And Jesus is there watching. And he doesn't let the Pharisees get away with it. He gets involved. And that's what Jesus does. Okay? Jesus will get involved. When the lies creep in, okay, when temptations creep in, you are not on your own because Jesus gets involved. He takes the Pharisees on. Okay? He says, oi. Probably didn't say oi, but I would have loved it if he'd said oi. Um, he says, it's not the healthy who need a doctor. I love Jesus like, often speaks in riddles a bit. You know, oh, where's it going? Where's it going with this? It's not the healthy who need a doctor. It's the sick. I have not come to call the righteous. I've come to call sinners. Now, on the face of it, that means, by the way, I didn't come for you. You're righteous. You're fine. You stand in front of God. You're cool. So I haven't come for you. I've come for Levi. So back off. Yeah? I'll see you in heaven because you're righteous. And now Levi can join us. Yeah? On, on, on the face of it, that's what it looks like. But actually, it isn't like that. The Pharisees counted themselves as righteous. But you know what? They knew their scriptures better than anyone. Psalms 53 verse 3 says this. Everyone has turned away. All have become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. Jesus is just, he's trumping them with the scripture. Do you know what? I haven't come for the righteous, but ha ha, by the way, there is no righteous. You are not righteous. Okay, that isn't where you stand. You think you stand in this position, but you do not stand in this position. Now, the book of Romans wasn't written at this time, but Paul repeats it in Romans 3 verse 10. There is no one righteous, not even one. And Paul was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. Okay? You see, it's true that Jesus did not come for the righteous, but there are no righteous. He came to save absolutely everyone. Sadly, some people just didn't accept it. He came for the Pharisees. He came to save them. He came to put his grace upon them and his love upon them. On the cross, he died for the Pharisees. He died for the people who had this religious heart that believed that they had this self-importance. But some people chose not to accept it. You see that with the, the disciples in Acts as well. They're going around. It's really sad. They go to one town. It's like, and we preached here, and it didn't work. They rejected the truth. We shut the door on that. We went somewhere else. Some people just choose to reject the truth. It doesn't mean the truth isn't real. In the book of Corinthians, Paul states, to the one we are an aroma that brings death to the other an aroma that brings life. It was the same with Jesus. Some heard his words, saw his compassion, and they just fell in love with him. They chose to follow. They chose to lay everything down and be saved from their sin and shame. Others saw him and they scoffed. 
They scoffed at the words of Jesus because they highlighted how deep their shortcomings were. They highlighted how deep their sinful lies were and they chose to walk away. They were offended by his grace. And I think we all, to some degree, or everyone in the world, fits in either camp. Many of us here today have probably accepted Christ, accepted his grace in our lives. As Renardi has said, you need to continue in that grace. You need to continue looking to God as a prodigal God and not look upon yourselves. Okay? Let, your life should be like a party. That doesn't mean your life is amazing. Okay? So I look at Ben, um, and I'm praying for him for healing, but the fact is, even in a dire situation, the joy of the Lord can still be his strength. Because that's what scripture says. Joy is not happiness. Man United game was happiness. Okay? They didn't win, by the way, so it didn't last. Yeah? Oh. But Man United game is, is, is that, that's, that's the happiness. God brings joy. Okay? So joy changes everything. You live in God's grace. If you've had a rubbish day, you're living in God's grace. If you've had a rubbish week, you're living in God's grace. If your life falls apart, it's fine because the Bible says you're standing on firm foundations. So when everything crumbles, you're still going to be okay because you're living by God's grace. And in a church, which is the beauty of it, if you feel like you're falling down, we will pick you up. Okay? That is God's grace. There are other people, though, that fall in the other camp. And it's about choosing to accept it. Choosing to think, you know what, do I need this saviour? If I let him in, if I open the door, like Randy said, what's the impact that's going to have on my life? I would just like to encourage and urge you, just look again. Yeah, because you open the door to Jesus, like Levi did. He's not going to call you a whitewashed tomb. Okay, he's going to love you. He's going to accept you. He's a gentleman. Okay, and he works with you at your pace, so it glorifies him. Can I just ask the, the band to come back up. We're going to sing um, the song that we sang at the beginning about grace. Um, and j- with this song, I just want to encourage you, use those words to once again declare how great God is, to declare God's grace over your life. I mean, I think it's good as a Christian to talk to yourself. I'm just going to say that, because I think everywhere you go in life, you need to remind yourself of God's promises, remind yourself of what he has done, remind yourself how amazing he is, because that gives you the mindset to take on the challenges that the world has. Okay, and at the end, there'll be an opportunity for people to want prayer. And that could be for a whole host of reasons. Prayer is amazing. Prayer changes lives. Okay, well, Jesus changes lives. Prayer is the way Jesus changes lives. That's another preach. That's a different preach. Yeah, but if you want prayer for anything, if it's like, you know what, I don't know Jesus, and I do want to know him. I want that first Levi moment. Fantastic. Or it might be, I've given my life to Jesus, but actually, secretly, I do fall back into the works, the Pharisee mentality, that I need to do this for him to love me. I'd love to be able to talk for someone about that. I'd love some prayer. Okay, so if you had asked you to stand, we're going to declare how God is, sing to him, and there's an opportunity to pray at the end. You have just listened to a Beacon Church recording. If you would like more information about us, our vision, the team, or upcoming events, please visit our website, which is beacon-church.org. You can email us at office at beacon-church.com, or find us socially on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You are welcome to share this recording as you wish, but please do not make any edits without express consent. Thank you.